right, good morning. Wow, so glad to be here. You know, I used to think that the greatest, inv- the greatest uh, invention of all time was flight. To think that man could actually fly in the air, I mean, unbelievable, right? I've often also thought of things like the invention of penicillin, which has cured disease and really prolonged the life of mankind by decades and really changed the entire world. I've also really thought that a real cool invention was the zipper. I mean, I don't know who thought of that, but that's a pretty cool invention. What about the guy who first thought of pouring hot water over coffee beans? I mean, I don't know who that is, but God bless him. I've since changed my mind, though. I now believe the greatest invention of all time is air conditioning. I mean, good Lord. How do you guys live like this? Of course, I'm from Canada. And uh, when it gets to like 75, we're like, whoa, turn down the heat. (laughs) So with you guys, this is just out of control. I'd love to say I was enjoying my time here, but I don't want to. Anyway, it's great. It's great to be here. (laughs) Of course, we really are so honored to be here. And uh, my wife, Kathy, and my daughter, Ellie, uh, and we've uh, kind of been on a tour of some of the Texas churches. So glad we could be here today. I hope you realize what a blessed region you have here in the Dallas church. And you guys are stacked with some incredible talent. Uh, the Vets, the Hoopers, the Fergusons, I mean, honestly, it's kind of overwhelming. Uh, you have some of the greatest heroes in the kingdom in your region. And uh, many people around our fellowship of churches would uh, kill to, well, hopefully they don't actually kill to do it, but they would love to have the kind of talent that you folks have here. So I hope you show them your appreciation. I'm certainly grateful to the uh, Dallas Church. I lead a ministry called Strength and Weakness Ministries. I'll tell you a little bit about it here as I go along, but when I started the ministry uh, a few years ago, I I quit my job. I was leading a church in Canada, been an evangelist and leading churches across Canada for many years, but this ministry that I started got so big and busy, I couldn't continue to lead a church and do this ministry, and so three years ago, I quit my job. The only trouble was there was no money. And so it was really stepping out on faith. And I even had a, another uh, Canadian evangelist call me and he said, Hey, uh, did I hear that uh, you're quitting your job to do that strength and weakness thing of yours? I was like, yeah. He's like, so let me just get this straight. Uh, uh, you're 50 years old, yeah. You got a wife and four kids, yeah. And two kids with special needs, yeah. And a couple kids about to go into college. I was like, yeah. He goes, how much money have you got raised to do this ministry of yours? And I was like, oh, we don't have any money. <laughs> he said, are you crazy? And then I got really insecure because I just thought I was being faithful. <laughs> but, Anyway, I figured, well, if it's crazy, God's going to have to catch us. And if it's faithful, God's going to have to catch us. I don't care what it is, you know. So I, I started going around the brotherhood asking churches for support. Dallas was one of the first places I came. 
And uh, for the last three years, the Dallas Church has played an enormous role in supporting our ministry. And I want you to know that you'll never know this side of heaven, the names of those whose lives you've touched, but there's thousands of them. And I want to say thank you to the Dallas Church of Christ for supporting me the way you have. Uh, We're enormously, enormously grateful. So this uh, ministry of mine, Strength and Weakness Ministry, uh, you know, uh, it's it's kind of a unique ministry. I recognized several years ago that something that our church was not doing a very good job in was meeting the needs of helping Christians who come from a homosexual background, but who as disciples still lived with unwanted same-sex attractions. And also I recognize that culturally, I mean the whole world is talking about homosexuality except it seems the church. And it's not because we don't care, we care, we're, we're, we're nice people and we care about people, but this issue had become so controversial, so multifaceted, so confusing, that most Christians thought, you know, I don't want to put my foot in my mouth, I don't want to insult people, I don't want to lower the biblical sexual ethic. Uh, I don't want to spend all of my time arguing, so, you know, on that issue, I'm just going to kind of ignore that one. And then, so what we've had now for a long time is the majority of the church ignoring the one subject that everybody else is talking about. And, you know, that shouldn't be, because as we believe, the scriptures have got answers to every challenge and issue in life. And if anybody should have an answer that is uh, cohesive and full of hope, uh, and is holistic in its approach and brings people to Jesus, it should be the church. And I believe there is a way for us to dialogue on this issue in a manner that doesn't lower what the Bible says on these on these topics. It doesn't lower this, the sexual ethic of the scriptures. And it also does lift up the love, mercy, compassion of Jesus. There's a way to do that. So I started this ministry, thought, thinking, let's, let's figure this thing out. Uh, my initial goal was to find 30 people to help, but we found that in the first week. And as I said, we're now helping thousands around the world. And uh, what does the Bible actually teach about homosexuality? Well, this is not the main point of the message, but I, you know, because this is what I do for a living now, and this is such a huge issue in our world today, I thought I would at least mention it quickly. What does the Bible teach? Well, we actually only get five scriptures. That's them. It's not a lot, is it? Five scriptures that the Bible mentions. There's really a few more when you want to start talking about things like, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, that kind of thing. But in terms of the Bible actually addressing it directly, these are the five main scriptures. Well, even though we only get five scriptures, there's a a few things that we can really learn that are important for us on how God feels about sexual ethics and whether or not homosexuality is a part of God's plan for human sexuality. Uh, For instance, what can we learn from those five scriptures? Well, you know what? These scriptures were written in both the the Old Testament and the New Testament. Okay? These scriptures were written thousands of years apart by different authors to different cultures, written in different languages, by, and written to different audiences. Right. You see, that's important because today people will say to me, well, guy, the Bible was written thousands of years ago. I mean, we can't believe what the Bible says about things like homosexuality and sexual ethics in today's world. This is 2016. Well, don't you see that these scriptures were written thousands of years apart? People will say, well, we're in a different culture. Yeah, but these were written in different cultures. Right? So, what this proves to us is that on some issues, and sexual ethics being one of them, on some issues, these things actually supersede time and culture. The issue of sexual ethics is one of them. 
And so for thousands of years, from Genesis to Revelation, God makes it clear that His intention for human sexuality is that it be reserved between that of a husband and a wife. Bound together, of course, only in marriage. And that any kind of sexual activity, heterosexual or homosexual in nature, is not a part of God's plan for human sexuality. Therefore, we would call it sin. I know that's not a popular message today. I don't know if that will ever be a popular message. That's okay. God's the author and designer of, of our lives. He's the architect of our lives. He knows what works and what doesn't. And He says sex outside of marriage and homosexuality will only hurt you and, and bring destruction to your life. So I love you and I don't want you to hurt yourself, so don't do those things. Right? Now I know that these things that we're talking about are very controversial. I don't have all the answers. Uh, when I travel around to churches around the world now, I do a whole workshop on this issue. And I have to tell people, the truth is, I don't have all my questions answered. And I myself have to live within the tension of uncertainty on these issues of homosexuality and sexual identity issues and, and transgender issues. These are very complex things. I don't have all the answers. Uh, but, uh, but I will tell you that here's something I think we can all agree on. And, and that is this. That every person needs to be treated with dignity, kindness, and respect. Regardless of what they believe. Regardless of how they live their lives. Regardless of their response to Jesus on the cross. Every person. Every person. Needs to be treated with dignity, kindness, and respect. Uh, what is my story? Well, I'll tell you briefly. I started participating in homosexuality at the age of 11, and it continued until I was in my mid-20s. I had a boyfriend for 10 years, uh, and, um, you know, lived this, uh, this gay life for a period of years. It was very lonely for me through my teen years. I went to church and knew that it was wrong, but church was not a safe place to get any answers, because the only answer I heard there was that homosexuals were wicked and evil and lost and going to hell. Uh, that didn't seem to be uh, a safe place for me to go. Uh, home was not a safe place. My dad was a really kind and gentle guy until it came to this issue. And I remember one night we were watching the news and something about homosexuality came up on the TV. And I remember my dad taking off his shoe. I was probably about 13 or 14 at the time. And him throwing it at the television. Ah, I hate those people. And I was like, wow, my dad hates these people. And then there was school, you know, I heard a lot of gay, fag, and queer jokes at school, and, you know, school was not a safe place. So through my teen years, it was very confusing for me. I never chose to be attracted to the same gender. I've never met anybody who has. Our attractions are very automatic and involuntary. There's hundreds and even thousands of contributing influences that determine what we become attracted to. So you and I can't control what we're attracted to, but we can control 100% what we do with those attractions, right? Anyway, by the time uh, I was this age, you can't see me very well there, but I've got more hair, obviously. And that wasn't that funny, honestly. Anyway, uh, uh, by then I decided I'm done with church, God, and religion. And I went to go uh, live my gay life in, in downtown Toronto. And uh, just crossed a lot of really dangerous lines. Anonymous sexual encounters with strangers, that kind of thing. And uh, by the time I was 22, I knew my life was in trouble. And I didn't know where to go for help. And of course, in God's perfect timing, He sent someone who invited me to church. It was called the Toronto Church of Christ. I was like, church, I know about those people, man. They're, 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 they're judgmental. They're, they're, they'll never let me in if they find out who I really am. And besides, I've made such a mess of things by now. What can church do for me? But at the same time, I knew there was nowhere else to go. I, I just, I thought, okay, I'm going to go one time and check this thing out. Of course, I heard the message. 
saw the fellowship, heard the singing, but was really convicted by the kind of preaching I was hearing. And I thought, this is not the church I grew up in. <laughs> and decided to keep going. So the short story is it took me two years. Two years of going to church. Two years of hearing the message. Two years of hearing the gospel. Two years of building relationships with Christians. All while still acting out with other guys on the side, secretly and quietly. And finally, after two years, I couldn't stand the hypocrisy anymore. And uh, I finally went to one of the ministers and I said, Okay, let me tell you who I really am. Certain for sure they'd kick me out and I'd never be welcome back. But of course, I was treated with such kindness and love and respect. And they studied the Bible with me. Uh, and I gave my life to Jesus. And I was baptized on August 15th, 1987. And I can tell you that I have not, I have not participated in any kind of homosexual activity now since my conversion 29 years ago. So it's amazing what God has done. And, uh, you know, then I got married. I never thought that would happen. I was like, who would marry me? But there was this uh, beautiful young woman in my Bible discussion group, and every time I went to her house, she would bake me something. And as you can tell, that would impress me. And so we became great friends. And so Kathy and I have been now been married for 25 years. Yeah, it's been the best 10 years of my life. And then also, uh, we've got four amazing kids. And uh, so we've got two biological children. Of course, Ellie here is today. She's one of those. And then we've got two kids that we adopted. And so that's our happy family. And actually, we're not always that happy, but we try to... <laughs> <laughs> when that picture was taken, we were in Nova Scotia, Canada, right on the Atlantic Ocean, and we had just gone whale watching. And, of course, we were watching whales, but two of my kids got violently ill, and they were vomiting over the side of the boat. I was like, look at the whale! And they were like, I don't care! Whoa! You know? So, anyway, when we got off the boat, I was like, hey, let's take a picture! My kids were like, no, Dad, no picture. I was like, get over there and smile, right? So, <laughs> there, there we are, you know? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So our, we've, we've now helped, we're now helping Christians all over the world. My ministry, uh, the Lord's ministry, has gone from helping 30 people to now uh, helping thousands in 58 countries around the world. We now have two full-time employees and 11 volunteers helping us. That's our website. I would encourage you to check it out. Strengthinweakness.org Strengthinweakness.org Tons of information there you can learn from. And, and here's, a, here's a new website I just started. It's called Don'tListenToGuy.com uh, A few years ago I was invited to speak at the University of Southern Maine. And uh, the gay rights group on campus assumed that when they heard an evangelist was coming from Canada to speak about homosexuality in the church, uh, they assumed that I would be spewing this message of hatred and bigotry against homosexuals. Something that would never even cross my mind. My, my message is that we need to treat these people with dignity and respect. And I, I, wasn't, I, I wouldn't even have thought of saying such uh, a horrible thing. So, anyway, the gay rights group on campus, because they thought I was going to be this homophobe, they printed up all these t-shirts that said, don't listen to Guy on them. And then they passed them out to students on campus. So students started walking around wearing these dumb t-shirts, don't listen to Guy on them. Of course, they didn't know who Guy was. They didn't know why Guy was coming there. They didn't know what Guy was going to say. But, you know, it's a free t-shirt and they're, they're campus students, right? So they'll wear anything. 
<laughs> so they're all walking around wearing these t-shirts. Anyway, I decided to take that negative and I thought, I'm going to start a website. So it's don'tlistentoguy.com. And I would ask you to go there because it's a place where people can comment on our ministry or anything that you hear me say. So even today as I'm preaching, if you're like, man, I liked that, then go to don'tlistentoguy.com and tell me. Or if you hear me say something like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he just said that. That man's lost his mind. Then go to don'tlistentoguy.com. Don't come to me personally. Go to don'tlistentoguy.com. Okay? I might have been born at night, but it wasn't last night. You don't believe, right? Right. Just go to my website and tell me. Here's the very first email I ever got. You're disgusting. I hate you and your stupid homophobic and bigoted ministry. I know where to find you. I was like, wow, that is so encouraging. I was like, I don't know who that was, and I don't know what they're going to do when they find me, but hopefully they're not in the audience today. So we get, we've been persecuted, we've been protested against, we've been lied about in local press in some of the cities that we've been to, we've been sent nasty emails, we've been threatened, uh, and um, so this is not an easy ministry to lead. And I would ask for your prayers in all seriousness, that our family would be protected, that God's message of biblical truth would, would, would come forth and help change the world, and uh, that we would have the financing we need to keep this ministry going, because we're helping a lot of people. And uh, so thank you for that. But uh, don't listen to guy.com. Uh, For same sex attracted Christians, this is my message very briefly. I don't think God cares what we're attracted to. Like I said, attractions are very automatic and involuntary. I didn't choose to be attracted to the same gender, but I absolutely am responsible for choosing what I do with those attractions. And so I, as a Christian, obviously have decided to submit those to Christ. And I live as, as a married man with, with a, a wife and four children. Obviously, it's, it feels like going up the wrong, wrong direction for me. Uh, but that's okay. It, it's, it's an honor and privilege for me. I believe it's, it's my way of honoring and glorifying God with my life. It, it doesn't feel natural to me. But, I, but hey, listen, I, I, I love my wife and kids. I love Jesus, the Bible, and the church. I have every intention of taking me and my whole family to heaven and uh, take as many people as I can along with me while we do it. And so uh, I tell Christians who are same-sex attracted, don't worry about it. For the Christian, the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality. For the Christian, the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. Go live a holy, godly life. I don't care what your problems are. Go do something great with your life. Honor and glorify God with your life. And uh, I think that's all that God asks for us. Uh, Amen. So this is the first book I wrote. It's called Caring Beyond the Margins. We have these available at our table. And if you want to know how you can support our ministry, buying our books is one of the ways of doing that. Another way is just by writing me a check. But uh, this is one way. And um, this is a book I wrote, not for Christians who are same-sex attracted, but for everybody else who isn't. So that you know, you can educate yourself. Because if you think, oh, I don't know anyone who's gay, I think you're out of touch. And if you really honestly don't know anyone, and you'd be probably like 1% of this room, if you haven't met anyone yet, you're about to. And so we need to know how to, this book is about how to share our faith, what to say, what not to say, how to help people in our churches, what to say on campus, what to say to the guy at work that you've always wanted to reach out to, how to help same-sex attracted Christians, that was, that's what that book is all about. And uh, this book just came out actually in, uh, in uh, St. Louis, it's called Messed Up. Um, it doesn't matter to me how you've messed up your life. We're always more to God than our mistakes. And being one who did a great job of messing up his life, 
uh, I know how to get out of that mess. And so this book is about no matter where you've gone in life, no matter how tangled things have become, uh, this is a pathway to make things right. And that's what that book is. And then this book, and this is where I'm going to take my lesson today, and my lesson is, is not as long as my introduction, so don't want to start panicking. Uh, this is called Tempt Away, How to Defeat Every Temptation in Under 60 Seconds. And How to Recover Quickly When You Don't. This is about, I, I recognized about 10 years ago, I'm not doing very well in overcoming temptation. I thought, I just need to do a better job here. And I thought, I don't really have a plan in place. I'm just kind of letting life happen to me. So I, I thought, I need to do better here. So I came up with a strategy that I could initiate all day long, quickly and easily. Uh, and and it's, it works quickly. And, and be able to overcome temptation. And since following that strategy over the last 10 years, my levels of personal righteousness have skyrocketed. I mean, gone through the roof. I'm not Jesus yet, but it is tremendous. It's just changed my life. That's a surprise to you that I'm not Jesus yet? No. And uh, anyway, I was doing a workshop for the Boston Church, and the elders there said, you should write a book about that. We all want to know how to overcome temptation. And if you really have a plan to do it in 60 seconds, you know, disciples want to know about that. So that's the book. Uh, Tempt Away. And I, I promise you, I guarantee it. I'm not joking. You do what that book says, you will be able to overcome any temptation under 60 seconds. Most often in 15 to 30 seconds. Guaranteed. It's not a money back guarantee, but I guarantee it. So anyway, we have those books available there at the back, and uh, hopefully you'll find them encouraging. So, to open your Bibles to James chapter 1, and let me just share a couple of thoughts from, from that book, Tempt Away. You know, I thought it'd be good to talk a little bit about temptation. It's something we can all relate to, right? I wish I could tell you how easy it I find how easy it is for me to live a righteous life. The truth is I find a lot of days very difficult. Now I do recognize after 29 years of Christianity, I actually defeat temptation more than I give in now. That didn't used to be the case, I think, in my early years of a Christian. But now that's the case, and I find most days I have moments when I give in to temptation surrounded by hours and hours of overcoming and living a righteous life. So as I said, I don't have my PhD in this stuff yet, but I've taken some courses, I'm doing pretty good, and since Jesus is the only one who can claim to have a perfect life and He wasn't available today, you get me. But here's the first thing I want to point out regarding temptation, and that's this. Temptation is not meant to be a negative thing. James chapter 1 verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your perseverance... Uh, the, the, sorry, I'm trying to speak American and I'm having a difficult time. The testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Then down in verse 12 it says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test... He will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. You know, the word trials here can equally be translated into the word temptations. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face temptations of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. You see, the truth about temptation is this. Temptation is much of an occasion for you and I to do the right thing as it is for you and I to go ahead and do the wrong thing. 
I'm learning that a temptation actually is a really exciting part of my day. While Satan is using temptation as a weapon of mass destruction in my life, God allows temptation in order to develop our spiritual life. Temptation provides that opportunity of choice every day when we get to choose between what is right and what is wrong. You know, in our lives today, there's very few things we get to choose. Did you notice that? Uh, I live in a free country called Canada. You live in a free country called America. Truth is, for people who are so free, we don't really have a lot of choices to do anything we want. You're driving down the highway, as my wife discovered the other day when we were in San Antonio, and the sign says 50, and you go 65, something bad happens. Red lights, you know, blinking. My wife wasn't allowed to go over the speed limit. So the Texas State Patrol pulled her over. And we will talk about that later. No. You know, you have, a, you have a long, tiring day at work. You're exhausted. You come home and you're just like, I just want to plop on the couch and watch TV. But you can't. You know why? You don't have that choice because the kids have got the remote. <laughs> You're sitting at work, you open up your desk, you're using your stapler and you think, I need a stapler at home. You're not free to take the stapler home with you. No, you're not. You don't have that choice. You got to go to Staples. Do you have Staples here? Oh, you go there and get your own stapler. You're not free to just to do anything that you want. But see, in the area of temptation, it's the one place where you get to choose to do what you want to do. God is such a gentleman. He'll never force you to follow Him. He lets you do what you want. Of course, there's consequences. There's consequences between for doing good things and bad things. God says, I love you. I don't want you to go and sin, but it's your life. Like, I'm not going to... You're not a robot. Every time we overcome temptation and defeat it, we become a little bit more like Jesus. And I want to put before you, brothers and sisters, there are few things you'll do in the next 24 hours to be more like Jesus than to overcome the enticement to sin. I know we're all important, we're all busy, we've got a lot of stuff going on. But man, we've got a plan for how we're going to handle the temptation we're all going to face in the next 24 hours. Because it's going to affect every single one of us. Yet most of us have no plan. Why is it? It's the one thing we know that's going to take place. We're like, well, I don't know. I'm just going to kind of deal with it when it comes along, I guess. We plan everything else in life. We plan what we're going to wear. We plan what skirt's going to match with what top. We plan what we're going to watch on TV. We get our TVs out. We plan weeks in advance. And we're going to record this and this and this and this. We decide where we're going to go on vacation year in advance. Uh, we plan about who's going to take what car to what function and how we're going to get the kid from here to there and there to there. And, you know, we plan everything. But for some strange reason, the very one thing we all know we're going to go through in the next 24 hours we have no plan for listen temptation is one of the most significant moments of your day it's a pivotal instant in time when you and you alone have the alternative to do what is right based on your own choices it's your chance to live out your Christianity it's your moment to decide to be in the light or to wallow in the darkness when you and you alone no church no minister no friend no discipler no wife no husband no parent just you Jesus God and the devil watching waiting to find out what are you about to do Yeah, it's a decisive moment in your time. When you get to put into practice all the stuff you've been learning. 
Now it's time to stop talking about being a Christian and actually start living like a Christian when temptation comes. It's time to stop just talking about loving Jesus and start walking like Jesus. And you get to do that when temptation comes along in your life. I put before you, there's rarely a more thrilling part of your day when everybody stops to watch what will he or she do and you get to prove, here's who I've decided to follow. The second thing I think we need to learn about temptation is this. They're necessary. Engineers tell us that the only way that metal can be safely used is after testing it. And it has to exceed the testing requirements repeatedly. I mean, the metal that was made to make up the Air Canada jet that I'm going to be using on to fly back to Toronto tomorrow, I hope is pure. And in order for it to be purified, it's got to go through fire. It's got to be melted and molded to fit the designer's purpose. Just as metal must be molded and purified and tested, we have to be tested before God in order to be used for His purposes. The necessity of trials and temptations, I think, teach us a few things. Number one, temptation isn't meant to make you sin. I mean, that's what Satan is using it for. God is actually making it something so that you don't have to sin. It's not meant to make you bad. God uses it to make you good. It's not meant to weaken you. God's actually using it to make you stronger, finer, and purer. And... Temptation is actually a privilege for the Christian. Knowing that they're being used and strengthened for use by God. The cocoon of the emperor moth is flask-like in shape. To develop into a perfect insect, it must force its way through the neck of the cocoon by hours of intense struggle. Entomologists explain that this pressure to which the moth is subjected to is nature's way of forcing a life-giving substance into its wings. Sorrow, suffering, trials, and tribulations are all designed to grow us into Christ-likeness. The refining and developing processes are oftentimes slow. But through grace we emerge triumphant. Romans 12 says, Don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our minds are not to be conformed, but transformed. Conform means to adhere to. Transform means to change one's nature. The Greek word where we get this is metamorphosis. Metamorphosis is the same word we use to describe what happens to a caterpillar before it turns into a butterfly. What used to inch along the ground in the mud and dirt can now soar upwards in perfect freedom of flight. That butterfly is us. After we've been set free from the mud of sinful behavior, slavery, bondage, and the habitual cravings that we used to crawl around in daily. That metamorphosis makes a total change and allows us to become different people. That all happens through us getting through temptation. It's so countercultural, isn't it? I mean, our world tells us that the way to dignity is through self-independence. God says no. The way to dignity is to stand strong through temptation. Our world tells us the way to honor is through self-strength and pride. God says the way to true honor is to be a man or woman of great humility, both before God and man. Our world tells us to hide our weaknesses. 
God comes along and says, No, I want you to confess them freely. In fact, I want you to boast in them. Our world tells us that our faults, flaws, Achilles heels, and vulnerable points are nothing but weaknesses and shame that we should be embarrassed of. God tells us, No, when you're weak, then you're truly strong. Our world tells us to rely on God, that if we rely on God for strength, it's just a crutch. God says, No, it's not that at all. If you rely on me, I will give you the path to victory no matter what season of life you are in. You know, in closing, I would be remiss not to mention the obvious. And that is the fact that even if you go out and buy my book in the front lobby by the back there for $14, we take cash, check, American Express, Visa, and MasterCard. Uh, even, even if you follow my tempt away plan of overcoming every temptation in under 60 seconds, the truth is we're all going to sin. How do you deal with that reality? Well, here's an analogy that helps me. Did you know that at the end of today, your armpits are going to smell? No. I mean, it's true. And when I came in, some of you were hugging me. And I want you to know, for some of you, it's already started. You put on deodorant. But at the end of the day, in spite of your best efforts, you still smell. Do you know why you smell? Because of the high temperature that exists in your armpits. Bacteria and microbes multiply in your armpits by the millions. And they like to live there because of the heat. Your armpits, however, also secrete oils. The oils don't have odor, but what they do is they trap the microbes and bacteria in your armpits so that they can't escape. And they suffocate in the oils in your armpits. And so what starts happening is because they're suffocating, they die there by the millions. By the end of the day, they've all suffocated. of Texas dying in your armpits every single day. And it's no wonder there's a little bit of odor with all of that carnage going on. On the microbial level, it's the odor of death and decay that gives your body odor. Scrubbing off only works for a little while. Last year's really good shower isn't going to help you today. Obvious spiritual word picture here. You and I sin daily. I sin all the time and the sin sticks to me and I can't get rid of the smell by myself. The fact is last week's really good quiet time isn't going to help me today. Last year's repentance or the repentance you did 10 years ago that you keep hanging on to, that's not helping you right now. The reality is we sin so often but I, I need to go and take several spiritual showers throughout the day to keep clean. When I wake up in the morning, I have already prepared myself for the simple fact that no matter how hard I try, no matter how much effort I put into it, 
I will begin at some point to smell the smell of spiritual death. What hope is there for me? What hope is there for you? The only thing that we can do is to practice good spiritual hygiene and go to our high priest who is eager to make us clean all day long. Listen, you're not a failure if you begin to smell. It's just what life is like and what's, what happens when you go about in this world. Welcome to humanity. You can't avoid it. If walking around in this world gets you dirty, then wash off. A farmer gets up in the morning. He's got clean clothes on. He looks in the mirror. His hair looks nice and he's, everything's nice and clean. He already knows that by the end of the day he's going to be dirty. Why? He's going to walk around in the field and he's going to work. He's not going to try to get dirty. It's not like he's going to roll around in the mud. But just being out in the field means you're going to get dirty. When he comes home at the end of the day and he looks in that same mirror and he sees there's dirt on his face and up in his arms and his clothes are dirty, he doesn't look in the mirror and go, I'm dirty again. I'm such a bad farmer. I guess I'll have to fall away from farming. Just knows he's going to get dirty. What does he do? He washes off. He doesn't beat himself up over the fact that he just got dirty. He already knew that was going to happen. Let me tell you something, folks. The blood of Jesus is big enough to cover every failure and mistake and sin in your life. With God, with God, you win the race when you finish it. Not if you run a perfect race. God will say one day, Well done, good and faithful servant. Not perfect servant, but faithful servant. And God loves you so much that He would rather have you with all of your challenges, weaknesses, struggles, insecurities, issues, problems and sins than not have you at all. The question is, do you have the courage and strength to follow Jesus in spite of your difficulties, insecurities and failings? Who will you bow down to? Who will you submit to? Who will you give your life to? Even when things are difficult, inconvenient, and the suffering is real. The goal that God has for your life is not that you have a problem-free life. The goal that God has for your life is that you know Him. Temptation is not a bad thing. But rather one of the most exciting moments of your day. Your chance to show the physical and the spiritual world who it is you've decided to follow. And it's even necessary, being one of the main ways that God will cause growth in your life. And it's something we should start planning for and being ready for. And when you do fall, when you do sin, immediately go back to your Lord for strength. Immediately immediately get cleaned off by your high priest who is so eager to make you clean again. Brothers and sisters here in Dallas, and especially in the east part of this church, thank you so much for so warmly welcoming Kathy and I and my daughter to you. I constantly hear about your faith around the world. I really do. You guys are having a global impact, not just through my ministry, but through other ministries around the world. I want you to know what a tremendous privilege and honor it is to not just hear about it, but actually see it right now, face to face. Thank you, and God bless.